0: Podcast for people, Father, Jesus. What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at RestorationTC.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. I'm not going to, I'm not, we're not even going to talk about it. That's, I'm going to go there. All right. Uh, how are you guys feeling today? I shouldn't even ask that question, but I'm going to anyway. How are you guys feeling? You Good. Yeah. Yeah, we're all right. We're here, I guess. And uh, yeah, so my name is Brian. I am glad that you're here. Uh, I'm glad that I'm here. Um, You guys can be glad or not be glad. I don't know. Uh, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. That's a a pretty cool thing that we get to do nowadays is uh, be able to watch uh, a sermon, watch right right from from the comfort of your pajamas in your bed, on your couch, whatever that looks like. So we're happy that you are online if that is uh, how you're choosing to digest this today. Uh, We do have a a, a lot of stuff going on here at Restoration Church. We meet here as a women's group every single Wednesday night. We meet here as a men's group every Thursday night. And then Sunday, like Clayton said, we've got our Sunday serve uh, with Freedom Builders. We're going to be helping out a house there, and we're pretty excited about that. Um, Before so we're, we're back in our series of That Escalated Quickly today. We're back in, um, in, in the book of Genesis. We took a little break last week for Easter, which was a good reason to have a break from Genesis, was to talk about um, what Jesus did and how he proved it. But now we're back in Genesis chapter 9. If, if you remember where we left off, some of you are here, some of you are not, if you caught it, uh, Noah was still stuck on a boat. Noah was still on a boat for a long time. Long time. And our message then was, you know what, sometimes God is making you wait on the boat, and you don't know why God's making you wait on the boat. You just got to keep waiting. You just got to keep waiting. Well, now we have Genesis chapter 9, when Noah finally gets to get off of the boat, when Noah finally gets to leave. And I've titled this sermon, uh, From Mountains to Valleys. I've actually preached on this passage of scripture before, uh, back in August, when we were outside at the Civic Center. I, I preached on on this passage, and uh, we're preaching on it again, so that's pretty cool. But I I named this sermon From Mountains to Valleys because sometimes in life we go from the mountaintop experience directly into a valley, and uh, that's kind of what happens with our pal Noah here with his three sons. We're going to get into that in a moment, Uh, but to set it up, I'm wondering if anybody watches uh, The Bachelor on TV I don't know what else you would watch it on. I don't know why I had to clarify. On TV. Any Bachelor fans? Bachelorette fans? Come on, be honest. Okay, all right, thank you. One, one person. Yeah, some of us, some of us like won't, won't, won't uh, admit that we watch some of those things. I don't. I know um, there was a time when my wife used to. Uh, she doesn't, I guess, anymore. But on The Bachelor, I mean, that's kind of setting you up to, to fail, I would say, right? At least a little bit. You get to go on all of these amazing trips. You get to do all this really cool stuff. Like, how many of you guys have ever been on a date where your date flies you to, like, Cancun or something? Or, or, or even better yet, like, Italy, somewhere in Italy, and you're just going to go there for a few days with, with your date? Uh, you're just dating, and you don't really know much about each other yet, but you're going to have this incredible experience. Anybody have that experience? no i, I haven 't either i never took Leah to Italy um, when we were dating or when we 're married now um, it just isn 't a thing that we have planned but i 'm um, glad if you did but that's i 'm actually a little bit jealous of you if you if you have but we have these these Crazy expectations on on the bachelor and the bachelorette, right? Where they're like, hey, listen to to this, look at what we get to go do, we get to go do all this stuff. And it's no wonder that most of these relationships fail. Because if your whole experience of meeting someone and then dating them for the first, I don't even know how long it lasts, a season, so it must last a while. If, If your whole experience of getting to know this person is just awesome experience after awesome experience. We're going to Italy, we're going to everywhere else, like we have all of this cool, we're in this really cool house or whatever that looks like. I don't know much about The Bachelor. If that's your only experience, then once you leave that experience and then like you actually actually have to figure out life and you have to figure out like all those weird idiosyncrasies that people have once you get to know them a little bit more. Like, oh, you do that with your, with your gum? Like you, you chew your gum that way? That's kind of weird. And you don't really get to realize that when you're in Italy and surrounded by all this beautiful stuff. Or maybe like, oh man, that person looks, um, looks weird in the morning. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, People look weird in the morning, okay? It's just a, a fact of life. But if we don't have any of these valley experiences, then how are we going to know what this person is going to respond or how this person is going to respond? Fifteen couples... From from my research, there are 15 couples from The Bachelor or The Bachelorette that are still together today, and most of them are within the last couple of years. Like, you have to discount kind of the last couple of years because they're they haven't figured each other out yet, but most of them have have broken up. There are a combined 41 seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and only 15. You got like 25 of The Bachelor and 16 of The Bachelorette. So combined, there's there's like 41 seasons of this show. That's a lot of bachelors and bachelorettes and that's not a lot of couples that made it. You're not hitting the mark very well. That is uh, kind of what we're experiencing in, in Genesis. We go from these mountaintop experience all the way down into a valley. And we can't stay on a mountaintop. We can't, we can't stay there. Because we're never going to experience the rest of life. Whether that's in a relationship or in our personal lives. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 9, and with that, let's get to studying what happens here in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life that is blood. That is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So these first few verses, God is setting up how they are supposed to live here in a post-flood world. Now, there's not a whole lot of vegetation. There's not a whole lot that they can do as far as crops are concerned. There was just a giant flood that ruined everything, so there's not a whole lot of stuff that they can eat. So God says you can eat the animals. Animals are okay to eat now, as long as you drain its blood from it. You can't eat an animal while it's still alive. That's probably good advice just in general, I would say. Unless you're Bear Grylls and you're stuck on a deserted island or something way out in the forest, but even then, try to kill the fish before you eat it, I would say. I don't know. Bear Grylls is pretty crazy. He drinks his own pee, so he can do whatever he wants. Okay, that's gonna get a laugh. Okay, I know what I have to do now to get a couple of smiles on your faces today. And God had made some promises with Noah here in these first six verses. God made some promises. Uh, One of the things is that he was never going to flood the earth again. We're going to get to that in a moment. God said that he would never flood the earth again. He also sets up a form of government. Now, way back when we started this entire series, uh, this whole going through Genesis, we talked about how Genesis gives us the basis for government. And right here, Uh, God is, is giving a form of government and human law to enforce morality. He's giving us a government to live by. He's saying, you know what? Bloodshed requires bloodshed in this moment. I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. If you take the life of a man, a life of a man is required. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So he's setting up this form of government for uh, Noah and his descendants of how they are to live. That they are going to have some rules that they have to live by. They're going to start imposing some government rule in this time. So this is where we get the very first form of government. And like I said, God gave permission to eat some of the meat. They could now eat some meat. Which was, we can be grateful for that. Okay, moving on. Genesis 9, uh, starting in verse 7. Continue on. And you, talking to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring." God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Just remember that for in a few verses. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. All right. So we have this first... second bit of scripture here, and uh, God talks quite a bit about the rainbow, the covenant between him and uh, man that says, I'm never going to flood the earth again. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, why it was a worldwide flood and the evidence of a worldwide flood. And if it was a worldwide flood, then this promise, or if it wasn't a worldwide flood, then this promise doesn't make any sense because there's been flooding. There's been a lot of flooding, We just went to Nashville a week and a half ago, and guess what? There was flooding down in Nashville. So if it was just a partial flood, then that doesn't make any sense. But it was a whole flood, and so God said, I'm never going to flood the entire earth again. Basically, what God says next is now it's time to get to work. Now it's time to get to work. You can't stay on the mountaintop. And that's our first point today. We can't stay on the mountaintop. See, Noah and the ark rested right on the top of the mountain, and it was pretty awesome. It was cool to to just like, okay, we're, we're safe, we're sound, we've got dry land, here we are, we're good to go. But we can't stay on the mountaintop. God said, there's some work to be done. God told Noah, go and multiply the earth. You and your sons and your families, go multiply the earth. Restart creation, basically. Let's get this rolling. We can't stay on the mountaintop. And I think that's true for us as well. We cannot stay on the mountaintop experiences. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about when, you, when I say a mountaintop experience? Okay, so yeah, you get it. Right? I've gone on retreats before where you get like this super spiritual high. Right, It's like, oh my word, I, I, I love this so much. I've gone on several retreats as a, as a teenager and then in my adult life. You go on these retreats and you're like, this is the most amazing thing in my entire life. I'm never going to change. Or I'm never going to change from this. I've changed and now I'm never going to go back to who I was again. Right, And we have these super high mountaintop experiences. But then what happens? the next week happens, right? You have to go back to life, right? You, you can't just stay in that, that, that fantasy land of like being at a retreat. I wouldn't want to. The food isn't that great, right? Like camp food is okay, but it's not, I, I wouldn't want to do it for more than a weekend. My gut starts to feel it by the end of the retreat for sure. So I think that's why they only do them for three days max. It's like, you guys, we need to give our bathrooms a break here. And it's because of our food, we get that, but... We're also a ministry, so we don't have a ton of money to go around. So, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know where I'm going. Um, basically, we have to leave that retreat. You have to go back. There's work to be done. And the danger that we have is that we want to just stay on that mountaintop experience. We want to stay there. We don't want to go anywhere else because anywhere else can be dangerous. dangerous. Living this Christian life is a dangerous thing. Going out into the world is a dangerous thing. You know what would be a lot easier? If we could just all stay in little huddles, on our own little mountaintops, where we didn't have to talk to other people who weren't Christians and get their icky sin on us, right? Because Christians don't sin. That's the... (laughs) Because we're perfect in, in every single kind of way, right? But we get this idea that if we just stay together, if we just stay close, if we just stay in this, this community and we never have to go outside, we never have to encounter somebody who's going to question our faith and question who we are and question who Jesus is, we're never going to encounter sin in our life because we're all stuck together and we're in this little community and we never have to leave. A lot of us think that way and a lot of us set up rules for ourselves that, that keep us from going into the world around us. Some of us grew up in this, this world that was, was, was um, isolated from the rest of the world. And you had no idea what the world was about. I've, I've seen it happen. I mean, uh, my family wasn't quite that way. We had rules, but we could go and watch movies and stuff so we knew what was going on. But there are people who, 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 who are in that isolation who then come out of that isolation to a whole new world and they don't know what to expect or how to expect it and they're not prepared for life. Because we thought if we just stay on this mountaintop, if we just keep these rules all together, if we just keep this all, all to ourselves, then nothing bad is ever going to happen. And we stay on this mountaintop. And Noah could have done the exact same thing. But we wouldn't exist had Noah just stayed on the mountaintop. If Noah just disregarded what God said and said, you know what, I know you want us to go get to work, but it's safer here on the mountaintop. I can work this land if I need to right here on the mountaintop and and we don't have to go venture out into the world and see the chaos of what is about to 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 go down I'm not saying we shouldn't cherish the mountaintop experiences we should mountaintop experiences are wonderful experiences to have Mountaintop experiences are great, and we can look back on them and think about what they've done in our lives, and we can look back and see how we've grown from these mountaintop experiences. I could list a few of them off. One of them is when I met my wife at a retreat. I, can't, I don't remember anything else about the retreat. I remember my wife, but I don't remember the speaker. I don't remember the music. I don't remember any of the study or any... I don't remember anybody else that was with me on this, this retreat. I knew my youth pastor was there because what kind of youth pastor would just drop kids off and then leave? That would be me. I would like to do that if I was still a youth pastor, but um, it's frowned upon, I guess. But I knew him. I knew that he was there. I knew my wife's youth, youth pastor was there, and I knew that my wife was there. And that's where I met my wife, and that was a mountaintop experience for me. Another one was, uh, there was that same retreat a few years earlier, when I do remember the speaker, and the speaker was really good, uh, and and he said some things that really impacted my life. And then I went out from that and became a a different Christian. I, I, I grew a little bit more. I grew a little bit closer to Christ in those moments, because he was grooming me. He was preparing me for something. And then in this Uh, In my adult life, I remember it really well. One retreat that I went on, I had to go lead worship for, and I didn't really want to go. I didn't really want to lead worship. I didn't want to be a part of it, Um, but they needed a worship leader, and so I was like, ah, fine, I'll I'll go and, and lead worship here. Again, I don't remember what the speaker said. I remember the speaker. We became friends that weekend, but this was several years ago. I don't remember much about him. I don't remember the topics. I don't remember the scripture, but I do remember getting away and spending time with God isolated between just me and god and having these moments up until that point i had gotten so busy in life i was leading worship i was preaching from time to time i was on the board and this was just all a volunteer position and i was helping a startup company at the same time and we had a growing family i was a little strapped for time and so this weekend came and i was like oh wow i've got some time i can focus on my relationship with christ and i my 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 relationship was strengthened with Christ. And the reason why this one came immediately after, just a couple of weeks after this retreat, was when my sister in law was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so we were able to walk through this terrible valley. I was able to walk through this terrible valley with my family because of the mountaintop experience that I had had before. We can't stay on the mountaintops, we have to keep going. It may seem safer to have this bubble and only have your Christian movies and only have your Christian music and only have whatever, Christian food? Uh, And and only like, I'm going to follow the Daniel diet and I'm going to follow the Adam diet and I'm going to follow whatever, the the prayer of Jabez is all I'm going to pray and this is like, we can't stay there. Not that all of those things are bad. All of those things can be good things. But we're not going to make an impact in the community around us if we're not in the community around us. Mountaintop experiences are great. They bring us closer to Christ, but we can't stay on top of the mountain. Let's keep going. Verse 20. So Noah comes down from the mountain and he starts to get to work. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. <laughs> That escalated quickly, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward. And covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, "Cursed be Canaan! A servant of servants shall be shall he be to his brothers." He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Next point: Valleys are inevitable. Valleys are inevitable. Here's Noah. You got to understand Genesis 6 if we want to go back to that. We don't want to. But if we did, we would see that Noah is called righteous. He found favor with God. He found grace before God. Noah was righteous in all the earth. He was he was a great guy. And he goes on the boat, he spends a lot of time on the boat, and then he gets off the boat and God says, good mountaintop experience, let's get after it, get to work. So the first thing Noah does is he plants a vineyard, which is pretty great. There's a lot of vineyards around here, they're all wonderful. And then he drinks of his own wine. He's like, well, I better taste test this. And he tastes it, and he tastes it, and he tastes it, and he gets drunk. Not just a little bit drunk, not just a tiny bit drunk, not just like a little bit tipsy, blackout drunk. And he falls asleep. And he's naked. Valleys are inevitable. Noah and Ham both sinned. And I've, and I've talked about the drunk thing before. We're going to touch on it briefly today. We're not going to go heavy into that. What I want to focus on is that valleys are in, inevitable. And there's a couple of different ways we can respond to them. Number one. I want to take a look at Ham and what Ham did. He didn't just see his dad naked, which would be weird. I've never seen my dad naked, thankfully. He didn't just see his dad naked, but he made fun of his dad. He reveled in what his dad had done. He loved that his dad sinned. He loved that his dad was this mighty hero, this conquering hero, this guy who had withstood the flood and the rains, and he was the one appointed by God to do this whole thing. He loved seeing somebody like that fall, watching a giant fall. And boy, do we love watching giants fall still today, don't we? We can't get enough of it. We have this whole cancel culture now where it's like, oh, I'm not bad, but look at what that person did. Look at what this person did. Look at what that guy just did. We love to watch those giants fall, don't we? Especially in the faith. Especially in the Christian circles. We are ready to cast out anyone who takes a tumble. Whether they do it on purpose or they're just questioning things. We revel because somehow it makes us feel better. Somehow we're like, oh good, at least I'm not this person, right? I remember when Rob Bell wrote uh, the, whatever that book was about hell. It wasn't all about hell, but it had a little bit to do with hell. I think it was Love Wins. Yeah, that's what it was. He wrote this book called Love Wins. And say what, I, whatever you want to believe about Rob Bell's whatever. What the church did, though, they immediately excommunicated the guy and left him on an island. So what's a guy going to do on an island who no longer is accepted in the church anymore? Well, he's just going to keep going down that path. And his theology is kind of messed up. But the church was so quick to say, you know what, you wrote this book, we don't like you anymore, and get out of our circle. Get out of our circle, not showing grace, not showing love, not showing mercy, not coming alongside and be like, "Ah, I don't know if we agree with everything in your book, but let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about it. Maybe we can figure something out. It was like, nope, he's gone. You can think of 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 pastor after pastor. There was a guy um, I forget what is a Perry Noble, pretty famous preacher, and he came clean that he was addicted to alcohol and he lost his position at the church. It was a huge church. He was doing a lot of really crazy cool stuff. He he was an alcoholic and he admitted to it and now he's not at that church anymore that he planted. We love to watch giants fall. Be careful. This was the problem that Ham had. I think as he reveled in watching his dad fall. He loved seeing that his dad had this issue and seeing this great man of the faith be considered so lowly. So he goes and tells his brothers all about it and makes fun of his dad. And his brothers did the noble thing. They walked in backwards with a blanket because they didn't want to see their dad naked either. And they bring it in and they cover him up. They covered his nakedness. So how do you respond when people fall? Not just pastors, not just celebrities, not just whatever, but people around us, in these circles, people are going to fall within Restoration Church. We're inevitably going to walk into valleys. We're inevitably going to fall into valleys. What's our response going to be? Are we going to laugh and shame people's nakedness? Their humiliation? Are we going to bring it on even further? Or Are we going to do what their brothers did and show a whole lot of grace and bring a blanket over and help cover them up? That's our option. We can laugh in the face of people who are falling and sinning and and, and falling from God or we can come in, put a blanket around them, say, what can we do to make it better? How can we help? That's the kind of community I want to build here at Restoration. I don't know if you guys are in for that, but I am. Valleys are inevitable. We're going to walk into our own valleys. We're going to have these valleys that we walk into on our own. We're going to be the ones that fall. It's not just people around us that are going to fall. We are going to fall. Sometimes, God leads us through valleys. I think of uh, an artist who, who, who draws. Um, typically, an artist, if you just did lines, it's not very, there's no depth to it, right? There's just, like, stick figures is essentially all it is. There's not a whole lot of depth to that. In order for an artist to really make something pop, to really come to life, I've, I've got a friend who, who draws quite a bit, and I see him drawing. He doesn't do a whole bunch of lining. He does a lot of shading, The shading is what brings this artist's drawing to life. Have you ever seen just like a brilliant drawing and it's just like, that looks so realistic. That looks so lifelike. The reason it looks so lifelike is because of all the shading, because of all the shadows that are required. Guys, in our lives, we can be a very two-dimensional person, stay on the mountaintops, have no shadows whatsoever, but sometimes the shadows are going to bring us into that 3D realm and really develop us even further the valleys are inevitable and sometimes the valleys are necessary sometimes it's the testing of our faith and we need to be okay with the testing of our faith because it brings about endurance you can read about that in the New Testament if you want to read about it in James testing is a valley But know that we have God with us. Now, just the the, the one quick thing that I want to talk about with alcohol is is we can go into these valleys and we can numb ourselves with alcohol. But alcohol is a depressant. It's going to make you feel worse eventually. It suppresses. It it, it depresses all of the feelings. It depresses all of the emotions that we have. It depresses uh, our, our thought process it depresses our judgment in Galatians chapter uh, or Ephesians sorry Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says this and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit be filled with the spirit this is what I want to say real quick about this alcohol is a depressant the spirit is a stimulant when you're going through these valleys don't lean on the bottle When you're going through a hard time, don't lean on the bottle. If you want to have a good time with some friends, and you can share it, and you can be uh, responsible with it, if it's not a dependent for you, then go for it. If it's a dependent for you, then stop. Don't be dependent on the bottle to get you through something. Be dependent on the Spirit to get you through something. The Holy Spirit is a stimulant. The Holy Spirit is going to urge you on. It's going to help you out of those valleys alcohol is just going to keep you there that's all I'm going to say about that that's <laughs> like Forrest Gump <clears throat> okay. um, valleys are inevitable valleys are inevitable Psalm 23 was a very familiar Psalm I'm read this and I've got one more thing to say talks about going through valleys. I just want to read this psalm. I know you've heard it a billion times probably, but let me read this psalm for us as we go through valleys. Valleys are inevitable. We can't stay on the mountaintop. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. It's not going to be on the screen. You can just listen to it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David was a shepherd. He knew what it took to be a shepherd, to look after the sheep. He calls the Lord a shepherd. Shepherd was something that the lowly did, the youngest did. The youngest was typically the shepherd, taking care of all the animals. God takes a lowly position to take care of us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He doesn't say even though I stay in the valley, even though I'm stuck in a valley. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't stay in the valleys either. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This last point I have for you guys is just simply this. Climb new mountains. Climb new mountains. I don't want us to be like old people who haven't climbed a mountain in a while. Have you ever met somebody that all of their their spiritual accomplishments are somewhere way back in the past? Guys, I don't want the, the birth of Restoration Church to be the highest mountain that we climbed. I don't don't want to look back and be like, man, remember when we started this whole thing? Man, remember that? I want to look back and be like, man, remember last week? Remember when we served our butts off at at, uh, Sunday Serve with Freedom Builders? Remember these, these, these mountaintops that we've climbed? Climb new mountains. If you're in a valley right now, know there's another mountain for you to climb and God's going to be there with you the entire way. He leads you in paths of righteousness. Climb new mountains. The band's going to come back up. Hannah and Sean are going to come back up. They're going to lead us in another song. We can't always climb new mountains alone either. We do it together. We climb new mountains together. Get help. If you're in a valley, if you're stuck in a valley right now, if you've been in a valley for a long time, there is help for you. Reach out for help. I was talking with a couple of people this past Wednesday and talking about how we need each other to help us through some of these valleys that we go through. We need each other to help climb these mountains. And it's so much better when we can do it with each other. Don't let whatever past accomplishment you've had keep you going for the rest of your life. There's new things to explore. There's new ways to find out about God. There's new ways to experience Christ. There's new mountaintop experiences that he wants you to experience that's going to draw you closer to him so that you can be ready for the next valley. Some of us refuse to climb mountains because it's, it's too much work and then we get stuck in a valley and then we just go to another valley and another valley and another valley and before you know it, we don't know what's happened to us. A valley experience leads us to new mountains. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that these, uh, these valley w- valleys would spur us on. God, we wouldn't get stuck in a valley. We'd remember that you lead us through valleys sometimes, but you don't make us stay in the valley. God, we can go up to the mountaintops. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've offered to us. Thank you that you offer us a mountaintop experience to get us through the valleys. It's in your name we pray. Amen.